Warning. This issue of Nil Desperandum is rated R for strong language and some adult content. Listener discretion is advised. Nil Desperandum 27. Preacher Porter's Cure by J. Michael Shell. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you once again for joining us, either on the podcast download from ndstories.com or on the No Agenda stream. Certainly appreciate you listening. This is the third and final part of J. Michael Shell's Preacher Porter's Cure. And it's a long one, so let's get right into it, shall we? Three stars coupling, in the form of the bum, who had previously given Myron Preacher Porter's Cure for alcoholism, has been brought down to earth by the Lucys. We pick up as Three Stars Coupling begins to tell his story. Or is it the bum story? Well, it's someone's story. Let's take a listen, shall we? The Bum's Story Three Stars Coupling The doggies are the oldest race in the galaxy, at least that we know of. The light beings are almost assuredly older, but like I said, my people pretty much pretend they don't exist. To those of us who do admit it, they're an embarrassment, because they are probably what we should have evolved into. They're what you would be if it wasn't for the Lucys. Including yourselves, there are three known sentient corporeal species in the galaxy. Known to us, that is. The other is a race of nasty little blue-skinned quacks who call themselves the Doctors. All these translations are going to be rough, kid, but I'm doing the best I can. The Doctors have absolutely no regard for life, sentient or otherwise, and occupy their time conducting bizarre experiments on any living thing they can get their hands on. They've been ramming probes up your kazoos for decades, but I think they left this neighborhood when the renegades showed up. There's absolutely no love lost between doggies and the doctors. Before we knew they'd existed, they'd captured a couple of my people and performed some pretty heinous experiments on them. We doggies aren't much into weapons, but when we found out about the doctors, we built a couple of outstanding ones. Now no doctor survives an encounter with us. We may be peaceful at heart, but we hold a grudge like a Doberman with the last bone on earth. Anyway, that's it as far as we know. You, the doctors, and us. The light entities are another story. Those of us who admit they exist, and I'm one of the very few, realize that they are the superior occupants in this neck of the woods. Apparently they travel at the speed of thought, which makes the speed of light look like a turtle walking backwards. That's why I say the Lucys are stuck. Although they are light beings, they seem to have lost their travel pass, the ability to travel at the speed of thought. The light entities also make a good case for your god which scares the living shit out of us doggies. You see, there was a time when we looked a lot like you do. Oh, there were differences, but not like there are now. Half a million years ago, we looked a lot like you. And we had all sorts of God stories back then, too. But as time passed, technology became our God. As technology grew, it did pretty much everything for us, and our bodies became weaker as our brains got bigger. Eventually, we became what we are now, what you saw in the ship. Half a million years ago, we were still a very handsome race, very like humans, which gives me ideas about what the renegades are really up to. They wouldn't be helping the Lucys if there wasn't something in it for them. But let me tell you my story, 
couple of hundred of your years ago, while the three dogs dallied, I was born, which was unusual. For the most part, the females of our species can't give birth anymore without it killing them, so most of us are hatched in tanks. But for some reason, my parents decided my mother would bear me the old-fashioned way. My parents held certain unpopular beliefs, not the least of which involved a supreme being. Ma was strong for a doggy, and actually lived a couple years after I arrived. Ultimately, though, I was the death of her. She could still be alive today on a massive array of life support, but she opted to take her chances with her belief in God, and died. This scared the shit out of everyone on Sirius proper, as my parents were well respected in their field. It was philosophy. It was only just before I was born that their philosophy began leaning toward a supreme being in the existence of the light entities. Everyone else figured the light entities to be some sort of photonic phenomenon, fast and furious, fun to watch flitting around through our beam sensor lenses, but certainly not alive, much less sentient. In order for you to understand why I came here, you have to understand the Syrian mentality. Doggies believe they are the supreme beings, and out of the three types there are to choose from, you could probably see their point. For one of us to directly interfere with what another Syrian is doing, no matter what that might be, is beyond criminal. It's sacrilege. Oh, we may not like what some of our fellows are up to, but, other than trying to talk them out of their faux pas, we'll never lift a finger against one of our own kind. Unless, of course, one of our kind commits that crime first. If it doesn't make sense to you, don't worry. It doesn't make sense to me either. The renegades could have come down here, rolled you all in batter, and fried you for every tiny shit the rest of Sirius cared. Oh, they wouldn't have liked it, and they wouldn't have watched what happened with a very keen interest. But stop it? Not on your life. Well, when Dad gave me his old rust bucket, which is 250 clicks over our heads right now, I lit right out for Seoul. Dad and I knew the renegades had made contact with some sort of non-corporeals on Seoul 3. We were real interested in these entities because we suspected that they were some kind of disenfranchised light beings. We were working on a subceiver device that would allow us to eavesdrop on their communications, but Dad was dying, and like Ma, refused life support. So he gave me his ship and the nearly completed subceiver, and told me to get down here and see what I could do. Those people are close to God, three stars, he told me. Don't let the renegades fuck them over. The rest of Doggy knew where I was going and didn't like it any more than they liked the renegades coming here. Actually, they liked it less. You see, they figured if I tangled with the renegades, I'd be committing sacrilege. When I explained what I wanted to do, they liked it even less, but couldn't find anything sacrilegious about it. How could they argue against my helping you evolve into something they didn't believe in? And now, if I managed to transmit my data properly, the renegades have become outlaws, wanted dead or deader. A lot of doggies are going to be sniffing around your tree, if I'm any judge of my people. Unfortunately, they're not going to care if you all get pissed on in the process. I hated to have to call them into this at all, but it's them, or the Lucys and Renegades. I'm really not sure what the doggies will do, other than hunt the Renegades relentlessly, but I've got a pretty idea that the alternative is a fate worse than death. Insanity and slavery is what you have now, even though you don't know it. It won't get any better either, not with the Renegades in on it. Trust me, kid, other than you, humanity's best bet is to go to the dogs. Strange how I accepted all that without batting an eye. Maybe it was because I absolutely trusted the bum. Hell, I'd told that man everything I'd been ashamed of. But this wasn't exactly the real bum. Still, I couldn't help it. 
Somehow I knew he was telling the truth, or at least what he believed was the truth. Also, there were the things I'd seen, not least of which was the alien turning into the bum. I saw John Carpenter's The Thing ten times, but that looked pretty phony baloney compared to this. The bum had nodded off after finishing his story. I guess you could say he'd had a rough day. I, on the other hand, felt like I'd been getting coffee enemas for a week. Bum still snored. I guess it's genetic. So I decided to take a walk. The stars seemed very bright for some reason. I was feeling incredibly good. Peace and ease seemed to be running through me mixed with starlight. I felt light. A couple of times while I was walking I thought my feet weren't touching the ground anymore. Nothing was on my mind. I was experiencing without the qualifiers of thought. When I saw one of the stars move it didn't faze me. I simply watched. And I was beginning to become aware of certain movements or distortions around me. They were very faint, like tears on crystal, but they were definitely there. Still not a thought occurred to me, without thinking it. I knew it was the Lucys around me, trying to get back into my head. And the star that had moved was the Renegades. You'd think this knowledge would have been alarming to me. Strangely enough, it wasn't. But it did cause an intense feeling which I can only describe as excited awareness. It made me smile when I felt it, and the little distortions vanished. Then a realization came over me, again, not as thought, but as a feeling. I realized, I knew, that the Lucys and the Renegades were absolutely no match for me. In fact, they didn't even matter. I also knew the bum wasn't totally correct in all his assumptions. It wasn't a matter of evolving at all. It was a matter of remembering. I'm not sure whether I slept that night. At some point I sat down with my back against a palm tree, and that's where I was when Sol performed his godzillionth encore. As I watched the sunrise I had the strangest notion I'd seen the original production. I was still feeling exceptionally well, but I knew my sartorial condition was deteriorating. Soon, in a day or two tops, the Lucys would bust my bubble and have at me again. My understanding of what was really going on had increased during my night under the stars but I still had questions for the bum. He'd come to some interesting conclusions about the Lucys, but neglected to inform me how he'd come to them. What information did he have, and where did he get it? He seemed to believe they had created the planet. Why? For one thing, I've been eavesdropping, he told me when I put these questions to him over breakfast. I wasn't hungry, but the bum wanted bacon and eggs and grits and toast and anything else I could produce for my larder. I don't remember ever seeing him eat like that. When I mentioned it, he said simply that he'd never eaten before and was very hungry. In between stuffing his face, he advanced his theories on the Lucys. On my way down, I finished the subceiver. I could hear them. I focused on what they said to each other and filtered out the monotony of disinformation they feed you humans. Now you've got to understand that before I was changed into this mental midget, my head pretty much contained the sum of all human knowledge. How is that possible? I had a subscription to Reader's Digest, kid. What do you think? You don't suppose we were going to let an intelligent, or at least semi-intelligent, race develop on our doorstep and not keep tabs on them? Hell, kid, we've been coming and going from here since before you came down from the trees. Anyway, it was my knowledge of your myths and religions, combined with what I overheard, that gave me my insights into the Lucys. First of all, the head honcho is called Lucifer. Apparently he and his crowd had a problem with eternity and their place in it. Here it gets a little hard to understand, and I have to admit that even when I still had the big head I didn't quite get it. It seems that stars are actually beings, 
but not beings. Somehow they are intellects of beings. It isn't just light and heat they're putting out, but realities, or at least realities of sorts, more like imaginations or epic tales. Then there comes a time, once the tale is told, that the star collapses and draws the reality it created back to itself. Not like a movie in reverse, though, because the intellect or imagination of the star is now in its creation. As it returns to the star, it creates its own epic tale. A condition like this could explain your myths about fairies and elves and magic. The power to create would be here, going back to the star. I shouldn't have said the Lucys made the place. It implies their creation of it. Soul created it, is still creating it, but the Lucys dropped in and made it what it is. And there's another possibility. It's just a theory, mind you, but it could be that all the stars are just bits of the imagination of one being. Don't think too hard on that one, kid. There's a human word, Abraxas, implies such a thing. But Abraxas is also called the unmentionable, or the unspeakable. I think if one contemplated Abraxas to fruition, it would involve an annihilation of some sort. Kind of like spreading a pad of butter over the entire universe. So, that clear things up for you? Do you got any French toast? What about the light entities? How do they figure in? My best guess is that they are what you evolve into, and maybe that's part of the tale. I'm not sure whether the Lucys are part of it, or intruders on it. I don't know whether the light beings exist in or out of the tale, but I think they have somehow evolved out of it, or have always been light beings, and were just playing parts of it. Damn, I don't think I ever thought of that. That would put a yank on my theory's balls now, wouldn't it? I think you might be evolving already, kid. I wanted to say, or remembering, but for some reason I didn't. My awareness of the Lucys was growing. No need for them to know what I suspected. What I recognized as a game the night before was starting to look more like a war to me, and I knew that this was another sign of my mental barriers being broken down. Somehow I needed to shore them up. The Lucys will be at me like ants on a picnic soon, bum. How are we going to stop them? That's a good question, kid. They're already in my head and moss. It must look like a convention around here. I think they're doing this insatiable appetite thing to me, and I can't stop thinking about having a drink. But you took Preacher Porter's cure. You're mistaking me for the bum, kid. Preacher Porter is the same hazy character for me as he is for you. Remember, physically I'm the bum. Mentally, I'm three stars coupling, and the bum as you perceived him. In that case, I think the best thing for you to do would be to get drunk. Say what? If you're going to take Preacher Porter's cure, a la Myron, I think you should at least begin it with a hangover. I also think you should start concentrating on being three stars from now on, and not the bum. I only knew the bum for a little over a week, so there must be a lot more of three stars in your head than bum. Savvy? Yes, I do. It's three stars coupling that needs the cure. But how does this cure work? I understand that it worked for you and the bum, but I don't understand how it worked. Didn't you say you suspected there may be a higher power? I do suspect it. I'll ask you that question again in a few days. I'll bet you have a different answer. Now what do you want to drink? I'll go to the liquor store. I want wine and beer and tequila and schnapps. And some whiskey. Maybe a couple of those wine coolers. Let's just go to a bar then. You can shop till you drop. There's a little bar I used to go to back when I was still pretending to drink socially, ten hours a day, called the Dying Swine. They served excellent Tex-Mex, so I figured I'd eat something while Three Stars was tying one on. I was sitting in a booth having my second flying burrito 
They actually serve the things hanging from the little trapeze. When I heard an ominous greeting from a newly arrived patron. Bum! Jesus, I heard you were dead in Baltimore. I never thought I'd see you alive, much less alive and drunk. How the hell are you? I serve not the bum. I am three stars cupening. Fuck you very much. Uh-oh. I hadn't considered this possibility. The sight of alcohol and people full of it pretty much disgusts me. But the thought of being involved in one more drunken brawl, sober nonetheless, was a major turn-off. I left my burrito hanging and went over to the bar where the bum, I mean three stars, was just getting up off his stool. I had a feeling the Lucys were going to try and get him killed, or at least part of the way to it. "'Excuse me, sir,' I intervened, "'but my friend Three Stars here is over-imbibed, I'm afraid, and—' Three Stars, my ass! I'd recognize this old bum drunk or sober. His name is Thaddeus Entwistle. We grew up together, didn't we, bum? But you took Preacher Porter's cure. I never heard of any that fell off the wagon once Preacher Porter put him on it. What the hell happened?' "'Have you had the cure?' I asked the newcomer. "'Never needed it. I have a cold one, maybe two, when I'm done.' But Thaddeus here, he had it bad. I knew him before and after, and I got to tell you, after the cure, he was probably the sanest man I knew. By the way, I'm Newton. Newton Shelby. Well, I'm Myron. And this, though he may look like your friend, is Three Stars Cupling. He's an, um, Indian. He's having a last fling before he takes the cure tomorrow, aren't you, Three Stars? Three Stars started making Indian noises, patting his head on his whooping mouth. I'm an Indian! He yelled and started whooping again. So who's giving three stars here the cure? Newton Shelby persisted. I am. And where'd you get it? Would you believe Preacher Porter? Only if you got it when you were about ten. Preacher Porter's been dead for twenty years. I said I looked young for my age. When I insisted on getting three stars home before he sampled any more of the swine's elixirs, Newton Shelby insisted right back that he help me. As we walked down Avenue A, Three stars between us, passing out with one arm around each of our necks. Newton insulted my abilities as a liar. I believe you when you say you've had the preacher's cure, Myron. I never did know one of the preacher's graduates that could lie worth a shit. As for this being an Indian and not the bum, even if you could lie like a politician in November, he's got a little purple birthmark on his neck, see? Looks like three tiny stars, which is where I suspect he got his Indian name. You're kidding, I said grabbing the bum's collar and inspecting his neck. He's always had that? Born with it. That's why they call him birthmarks. Look, if he's just embarrassed about falling off the wagon, I'll leave. But I guarantee you he'll know me when he sobers up. No, he won't. That wasn't a lie, was it? I'm glad you can tell the truth when you hear it, Newton, because for some reason I'm going to tell it to you. I don't know what made me decide to spill the beans to Newton Shelby. If the Lucys had gotten back in my head... I knew they hadn't yet. I would have resisted the urge to tell him. But it was a feeling I had about him, almost like I knew him from somewhere, that caused me to loosen my ship sinkers. No ships went down, but one did come in. So, Bum's really dead. Rest in peace, Thaddeus, Newton said as I finished telling him my incredible story. I was absolutely amazed that he believed every word I said and told him so. I've always been able to tell when folks are lying, he explained, unless they're very, very good at it. Besides, you've had the cure. I could tell your asshole was cinching up when you said the bum and the three stars was an Indian. If you were to tell a really big lie, I bet it would slam shut and lock. 
Three stars was snug as a bum full of rum in my fold-out couch. The alcohol had increased his capacity to snore, however, so Newton and I headed out for the palms. This is where the ship came down, isn't it? Newton asked me as we stood watching the palm fronds sway in front of a star-filled moonless sky. This is it, I assured him. Damn, I'd have liked to see that. And that alien. I wish I could go and see a whole planet full of doggone aliens. You might get your chance. To see an alien, I mean. Three stars isn't sure what the doggies will do when they get here. My guess is they're going to want to find him, though. After a while, we had our backs to a palm tree each, facing each other. Newton was a short, wiry man, about the bum's age, say a young sixty-five. He had fiery red, unkempt hair that held no touch of gray. His eyes were gray, though, ghost gray over a clean-shaven, weathered face. "'Tell me about the bum, Newton,' I said after a while. "'He only stayed with me until the cure took. I'd have liked to have known him better.' "'I was wondering when you'd get around to asking about the bum. Don't feel bad that he left you after giving the cure. He always did that. And Preacher Porter always sent him away right afterwards, too. Bum explained it to me once. He said if he'd stayed around someone he'd given the cure to, they'd try and show gratitude for what he'd done, and that would be bad. Bad for the one he'd helped, but worse for himself. He'd say, Newt, it's the one giving the cure that should be thankful. I get a lot more from the ones I give it to than I ever got when Preacher Porter gave it to me. I didn't understand him, but I knew he was telling the truth. Tell me about him, Newton. Call me Newt from now on, and I will. Okay, Newt. Newt Shelby's story, Thaddeus Entwistle. Thaddeus and me grew up together in a small town outside Baltimore. We were neighbors. I was a fat little kid two years younger than Thaddeus. Being fat with red hair and freckles the size of poker chips, I got ribbed a lot. Punched, pushed, poked, and picked on. Thaddeus and me were always friends, but sometimes when we were real young, he'd join in the razzing with the other kids. I had more names hung on me than there's Changs in a Chinese phone book. Porky, Piggy, Fatty, Carrothead, Matchhead, Blimpo, and so on. It was like a game they had, trying to think up new names for me. One day they were all at it, Thaddeus included. I used to just sit and play with an old pail and shovel like I couldn't hear them. They'd dance around me thinking up their names. Thaddeus, who was called Tad back then, got right in my face and said, I know what he looks like, a peckerhead. Well, they all got a big laugh out of that. I never looked up from my plan, but I said back to him clear and loud, Tadpole. The other kids got a real kick out of me sassing him back and started dancing around Thaddeus, shouting, Tadpole, Tadpole. That made him mad. He had a temper back then, so he came over and grabbed my head and shoved my face into the dirt. When he did, I hit my lip on that old pail and cut it. It wasn't a big cut, but it bled like a son of a bitch. When I pulled my head up out of the dirt and Thaddeus saw all that blood, he turned white as a sheet and grabbed me up and ran with me, him screaming and crying into his house. Help, help, he was yelling. His mama must have thought somebody had been killed. She came running into the kitchen where we'd come in through the back door, white as a ghost herself. When she saw me, face all covered with dirt and blood, she fainted dead away. Thaddeus's grandma came running in, picked Mrs. Entwistle up off the floor and put her in a chair. Then she looked over at us boys, me all blood and dirt, and Thaddeus is crying, I'm sorry, Newt, I'm sorry, Newt, and said, You boys go on outside and play. And wipe that shit off your face, Newton. 
We went back out, and Thaddeus got the garden hose and a towel off the clothesline and cleaned me up. The whole time he kept saying, I'm sorry, Newt, I'm sorry, Newt. Once I was cleaned up and it quit bleeding, you could hardly tell I'd been cut. Thaddeus saw that it was nothing and stood there holding me by the shoulders, looking at my face. He was smiling his huge smile of relief. Then he hugged me and said again, I'm sorry, Newt. The name Tadpole stuck to him for about a year, and that old time he used to tell me to call him Tadpole, too. The entire time we were in school together, he'd light into any kid that picked on me like a hornet with an attitude. That was Thaddeus Entwistle. Then he went off to college, and the next time I saw him, he was a bum. He'd lost his law practice by then, and was drinking rot gut and peach wine. I felt real bad for Thaddeus. He even used to drop money in front of him on the street. I couldn't bring myself to hand it to him. I'd just stand there in front of him and let it fall out of my hand. He'd put his foot on it, but would never pick it up till I was out of sight. I had a couple of laundromats back then and was making money off them, but I was god-awful depressed all the time. I didn't have no wife, but I didn't want or need one. I wouldn't say loneliness was my problem. I had plenty of friends, good friends. I was just deep in the melancholy and sometimes thought I wanted to die. Then one day I ran into Thaddeus. From a distance I could see he was sober, and when he got up close he looked like the happiest man in the world. At first he didn't say much but stood there beaming at me like he just then realized he hadn't hurt me after all. I guess I was really at the end of my rope, because once we got to talking, I ended up pouring out all my woes to him like a damn it burst. I believe Thaddeus saved my life that day. Call me bum, Newt, he said, because that's what I am, the bum. We're all bums, Newt, and there's a great black shiny-eyed bum up in heaven. Some of us are playing other parts in the big bum's play, but down under it all, we're all bums, plain and simple free of every last thing, including ourselves. Flowers are bums, Newt. They don't hit a lick, ever. And look at the duds they're sporting. Preacher Porter told me his God really liked me, and he was right. He's given me the best part to play, and it's no part at all. I don't know a lot of happy bums, Tadpole, I said to him. I hadn't called him Tadpole since that year after my cut lip, and he laughed till tears came out of his eyes. Still laughing, he grabbed me, gave me a hug, and whispered in my ear, I'm sorry, Newt. Then he took me by the shoulders, looked hard into my eyes, and said, They're unhappy because they aren't supposed to be bums, or they don't know they're supposed to be bums. So they poison themselves to quiet the yammering going on in their heads. But what the yammering's saying is drink more. You always could tell if a person was lying, Newt. See if you can tell now. You're a bum, too. I can see it on you like pigeon shit on General Grant's shoulders. He was telling the truth, all right. It took me about a week of thinking about it, but in the end it was a feeling I had that made me go back and find him. I told him he was right, and did he think we could be bums together for a while? That made him happier than he already was, if that's possible. Bum and I tramped around the country together for more than twenty years. We once ran into Jack Kerouac. I don't know if it was THE Jack Kerouac, but he was telling the truth when he told me his name. For a long time we were U.S. one babies, up and down the East Coast from Maine to the Keys. I can't tell you how many fellows the bum gave the cure to in all them little towns. He once even gave it to a woman, a whore in Savannah, and he never sought them out. They'd just show up in his path like deer hypnotized by his light. We never wanted for anything either. Oh, sometimes we'd eat beans for a long stretch, but bum would always smile and say, You eat steak too long, and beans taste good. I'd laugh, and somehow he'd come up with steaks the next night. It was sometime in the mid-seventies when the bum and me parted company. We were in Virginia Beach at the time, and I met a girl. Hippie times were ending, 
There was a little group there on the beach refusing to cop out, and we fell in with them. Mary Sue, who everybody else called Molly, was one of the hippies. She was young and beautiful, and even at forty-five I was no slouch. I had never loved a woman before. Understand what I'm saying now. I had never physically loved a woman. Until I met Mary Sue, I hadn't had a sexual feeling in my body, ever. Never even had an erection. There were times when I wondered if I was queer, but I wasn't. I just didn't feel anything. Till Mary Sue. She and I got to talking one day, alone in a little run-down efficiency a bunch of us had rented. We used to use it to shower and clean up, and sometimes cook. Once in a while, one or two of us would sleep there. We knew if a dozen of us were sleeping there all the time, we'd get thrown out for sure. So we slept on the beach or under the overpasses. Most of us liked it better that way anyway. So Mary Sue and I were alone in the place talking, when all of a sudden my old hobgoblin just jumped up like a cat sitting on a burr. I actually told Mary Sue. I felt like I could tell her anything. When she heard the story, she said we'd better use him quick before he changed his mind. And we did. After that, I was like that beautiful little girl's puppy. I never left her side. The bum saw what was going on, and one day he wasn't there anymore. The last thing I can remember Bum saying to me before he disappeared was, God, I'm happy, Newt. Mary Sue and I lived together a long time. I started driving trucks, and she worked part-time at the library. A few years back, we actually got married, and that was the last nail in the coffin of our romance. I just left one day and said goodbye, and Mary Sue smiled and said goodbye, too. She knew I was going to look for the Bum. Then I heard he was back home in Baltimore. When I got there, I was told he'd died. I never could find his grave. I wasn't sure if he was dead or not. Bum and I had some of our best times in the Keys, so I picked up a load coming into Marathon and let somebody deadhead it back to the world for me. Bum used to like it on Big Pine best, so I took the long walk over the bridge, and who do I see in the dying swine but the Bum? He used to say, The world's a nuthouse, Newt, and if you aren't careful it'll start making sense. I'm not sure what he meant by that, but I know he was telling the truth. I'd never seen the bum with a hangover. It wasn't a pretty sight. Apparently there was no alcohol on Sirius, because Three Stars was amazed at the depth of his pain. It's not just the pain in this old body, he told me, sitting in my little fold-out couch. It's the pain in the mind. I feel sick and confused and depressed and guilty. And it's all being intensified by the Lucys. They're loud. The alcohol seems to be some kind of key they can use to improve their access to the mind. They're screaming at me right now. I know it's them, but I also know they're right. I need a drink. You need the cure, Three Stars. Listen to the bum in you. But how can it work? I'm not human. Even if there is a supreme being, he's yours. There is no God for Syrians. I know that now. We're alone. Alone. I'd also never seen the bum cry, and was quite shaken to see him collapse sobbing into the sheets. I wanted to say something or do something to make him stop. I was actually considering getting him some booze when Newt Shelby pulled me out of the trailer. You've got to give him the cure, Myron, he said as soon as we were outside. And you've got to do it now. We need him. I don't know if I can, Newt. What if he doesn't want it? What if I just plain fail? Look at him in there. I did that to him. I never should have told him to get drunk. I never should have given him the DNA in the first place. I... None of that's true. But what if it is, Newt? What if... The Lucys are back in your head, aren't they? As soon as he said the Lucys, it hit me like a ton of bricks. They were back, all right. It seemed like I didn't have a thought in my head that wasn't guilt or doubt. Listen, Myron, all the things three stars said in there rang true except one. 
True, the Lucys use alcohol as a weapon against those who are a threat to them. I've seen it over and over when I traveled with the bum. The people that emerged from those drunken husks after Bum gave them the cure were beautiful, spiritual people. People who might just try and grow up. True, they're screaming at him now. And it's true, he doubts the cure. But when he said there was no God for Syrians, I couldn't hear the first bit of truth in it. Myron, I'm beginning to wonder about those three stars nature tattooed on the Bum's prenatal neck. I know you only spent a week or so with him, but did he ever mention anything to you about the sun being God's dreamer? God's dreamer? I don't think so. The way he explained it to me, things exist because of sunlight, and the sun is a part of God's mind that dreams. But he knows he's dreaming, kind of like daydreaming. That sounds almost exactly like what three stars told me. He said stars were the intellects of beings, and they were creating epic tales. I'm sure of it now, Myron. The bum and three stars were meant to be joined. And I think that joining wasn't just for the benefit of us humans. I think somebody wants to teach some old dogs a new trick. It was all making sense to me, even over the cacophony in my mind. Then, beyond all that thought, something occurred to me. Newt, I said as this idea set in. What do lies sound like? Geez, Myron, I don't know. I never thought about it. Well, think about it now. I need something, some defense against the Lucys. I've got to clear my head enough to help three stars. If you're right about the birthmark, that makes him a real important part of this epic tale we're in. You've got to try and help me, Newt so I can help him. All of a sudden, Newt got real quiet and dreamy-looking. Then he walked away from me, as if he'd forgotten I was there. I watched him walk off into the palms. My head was playing liar's jeopardy. There wasn't a thought I could trust. Then I saw Newt coming back out of the palms, marching out of the palms with a big smile on his face. They're echoes, he said. What are echoes, Newt? Lies, Myron, lies. They sound hollow, like somebody's saying them in Grand Central's men's room, and sometimes they seem to repeat themselves or the last couple of words, like an echo. Look, Myron, there's nothing you should be thinking about. You already know what you have to do. Any thought in your head now isn't your own. Anything you hear in there, just tell it to get lost. Maybe that's what Jesus was doing when he said, Get behind me, Satan. He was expelling the lies from his mind so he could take action, do what was next. Newt was standing there waiting for me to say something wanting to see the dawn of realization rise on my face. I still had a head full of negative noise when suddenly my own voice, solid and uncompromised, said in my mind, Get behind me, Lucifer. For about ten seconds, had there been a pin in my head, you could have heard it drop. Then, like somebody was tuning in a radio talk show, the worries returned. Get behind me, Lucifer, my mind's voice insisted. Behind me, behind me, behind me. Get out, out, out. Newt was still looking at me expectantly. Wait out here for a while, I told him. I've got to go sit on the tracks with three stars. For nearly a week I fought the mental fight while three stars took the cure. I was all of two days hearing his confession. But I guess even a human would rack up a lot of regrets in two hundred years. Newt had disappeared right after telling me what lies sound like. I'd have missed him if I'd had the time. When I wasn't working on three stars' cure, I was fighting the Lucy's. It was a constant battle with them trying to divert me from my task, telling me I was hungry or tired or that I'd fail. But I noticed that never once did the thought of taking a drink occur to me. It was as if that particular line of deception was closed to them, and that, I knew, was the cure Bum had given me over a year ago, still working. Now I'd given it back, and it worked again. The cure is a link, kid. 
I still don't know if my people have a God, but I know now that yours do. Either he believes I'm human, or it doesn't matter to him that I'm not, because a specific link is blocking the Lucys from part of my mind. We've got a foot in the door, kid. We've rolled the stone a quarter of an inch. I think we can roll it away. If we can complete a link with that raggedy old heaven hippie, the Lucy's days are numbered. There's something I want to show you, Bob. I took him to the mirror in my bathroom and held a little hand mirror to his neck so he could see his own birthmark. Newt showed me this while you were drunk. I told him everything Newt had told me about himself and Thaddeus Entwistle. An epic tale indeed, he said to me with a spocking lift of his eyebrow. Where is this Newton Shelby? We need him. I think we may be the three stars coupling, establishing the link. And if I'm right, that would directly involve Sirius in this epic tale, which means... Which means your parents were right, I finished for him. It marked the second and last time I'd see the bum cry. I left three stars to contemplate the enormity of his realization. I could understand his being overwhelmed. An entire ancient race had just found its father and brothers, while here, on Terra, as an old song puts it, the children of the sun begin to wake. I walked down Avenue A towards the woods where I had met the bum. Before I even entered that little glade, I knew Newt Shelby would be there. He was sitting with his back against an enormous chiflera. He looked up at me, staring down at him, and I almost thought I saw light coming from his pale eyes. I had never seen a face hold that much serenity. I tried to sort out the voices that were lying to me, Myron. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. I thought I'd go crazy. They're the best liars I've ever known. The more I sorted them out, the trickier they got. The louder, the softer. Sometimes they lied to me with silence. I couldn't do it, Myron. I couldn't stand it, knowing I would never be free of them, of the deception. They wanted me to kill myself, and I wanted to die rather than living with them in my head. What are they saying now, Newt? I asked quietly. They're gone. I've been sitting here for three days asking Thaddeus' big black god to take them away. Just before you walked up, he did. They're absolutely no match for us, Myron. They never were. In fact, they don't even matter. What had taken three stars coupling advanced technology and tremendous effort to accomplish with a semi-sane human, Newt Shelby had accomplished by himself with the intellect of God. The author of the tale, the main man, head haunch, numero uno, shining in the sky, creator of all we survey and I knew pretty much what it must feel like. I'd been closer to it than I knew while the Lucys were out of my head, and was sure a lot of people would be that close if their minds were freed. By the time Newt stood up, he was beaming. He looked so happy it was comical, and I laughed out loud, which started him laughing. I could feel his laughter in my chest, and it caused me to howl like someone was tickling me. When we looked at one another, I could see the happiness in his eyes, and we both dropped to the ground rolling with this infectious mirth. My sides ached and I was out of breath, but still I couldn't stop. When I saw the sun shining through the huge slifera, its light dappled down through the leaves, I could have sworn it was laughing too. When Newt and I got back to the trailer, I introduced him to Three Stars. You'll have to excuse me if I treat you like an old friend, Three Stars, he said. I think we are old friends, Newt, and call me the bum, or Thaddeus, or even Tadpole, if you like. I told him about the two of you, you and the bum, I explained to Newt. Then I told Three Stars that Newt had completed the link. He was Lucy Free. Three Stars was truly amazed. That's incredible, he said. I wasn't even sure we could sort them out, and here you've done it already. No, I haven't, Newt replied. And I don't think you can either. But I know you have to try. It was the trying that brought me into conscious contact. 
I had to know, to realize I couldn't do it, in order to ask for it. But once I knew the Lucys were there, preventing me from knowing the intellect of God, I couldn't live with it. I had to get free or die trying. And there's something else. Somehow that tree I was sitting against was helping me. I'm not sure how I know that, but I'm going to know more soon. This link is brand new. It's just dawn in my mind. Soon it will be full-on morning. I don't think I'll be here much past noon. Things are starting to wrap up. It's almost over. Where will you go? I asked him. Anywhere you can think of. Three stars answered for him. In no time at all. You mean he'll become a light entity? I am a light entity, Newt replied. I always have been. I could be free of this body as easily as a hound shaking off water. But I'm starting to realize I may be able to take it with me if I want. And there's some place I'd like to go where it just might come in handy. I didn't know what or where he was thinking about. But there was a gleam in Three Star's eyes that made me think he did. renegades. With Newt's help, Three Stars and I fought the Lucy's tooth and nail. It was truly grueling to try and recognize and reject their negative mental intrusions. Every thought that is not of the moment is suspect, Newt would tell us. Every thought of the past or future denies the moment, and the moment is of God. Everything else is spurious creation. That must be what Pigar meant when he told Barbarella angels have no memories, Three Stars interjected. Say what? I asked him. Forget it, kid. You aren't getting all this, are you? I'm getting it, Bob. It's just going to take time. There is no time, really, Newt said, his eyes looking more and more distant. It's all one huge spherical moment we travel around. Our motion on the moment is what we perceive as time. And he's not going to be on the moment with us much longer, kid, three stars whispered to me. I'll have trouble understanding him soon, and he lost you an hour ago. I'm not making it, am I, Bob? I'll never be able to get them out of my head. That's the point. No human can. But you took Preacher Porter's cure, didn't you? And you couldn't stop drinking, either. You're the third star coupling, kid. Relax. When the time comes, you'll ask and you'll receive. Till then, let's get some sleep while we still need it. From my room, lying in my bed, I could see, and hear, the bum sleeping in my fold-out couch. Noob was standing, staring out a window. The night on the other side of the glass seemed almost bright, silhouetting him in the square of the light. I was watching him standing motionless and listening to the hypnotic rise and fall of the bum snoring. I was sleepy, but I'd noticed I was feeling something other than tired. It was very much like I'd felt when I was linked with three stars before he became the bum. Then I noticed one of my bedroom walls shimmering and acquiring an ultraviolet glow. Two aliens, who looked almost exactly like three stars had, came out of the wall. They couldn't move. A blue glow followed the aliens through the wall, and I heard them say in my mind, You must come with us now. We will take care of you. Somewhere in my mind I knew I didn't want to be taken care of by these two. But it was as if I was heavily drugged. The light washed over me and I began to float, feeling the same almost sexual warmth I'd felt when I first awoke in the palms. There was nothing I could do. I was drifting away in my mind as well as my body. I barely managed to whisper goodbye when I noticed Newt was standing in the room with us. 
Instantly the light was gone, and I was in my bed as if I'd never floated out of it. The aliens were sitting against the wall with their heads nodding on their chests. Newt walked over to them and touched each one on the forehead. Then they stood and walked back out through the wall. I wanted to ask Newt what was going on, but I was too dazed. He answered me anyway. Those were the renegades, he told me. I sent them home and told them to tell their people I'm coming. One tale ends, but another begins. I place the truth in their minds. They'll either accept it, or it will put the fear of God into them. One way or the other, it's coming to them now. We had to ask, because of the Lucys and because it's our nature. They'll be able to do it themselves. It's a lot harder than asking, but it's a magnificent moment they'll ride. I'll miss you, Newt, I said, my head finally clearing. No, you won't, Myron, but three stars will. I awoke first next morning. I could tell by the way Bum was snoring that he was waking. Newt was sitting up straight in a chair. Something seemed odd about him. As I made my way to him, I noticed his eyes were closed. Then I noticed he wasn't breathing. I felt for a pulse, but there was none. Then I started yelling, Bum! Bum! Wake up! Three stars was up like a shot. What the hell, kid? Newt's dead. The renegades came last night, and he sent them home and said he was coming, and they left, and he's dead. He's dead, Bum! I was crying while I said all that. Bum checked my diagnosis and confirmed it. Body's dead all right, kid, but Newt isn't. He's gone to Sirius. I thought he'd figured a way to take the body with him. Maybe he didn't. It's a corpse. A corpse in the chair, for God's sake, Bum. It's Newt's corpse. Somehow I knew I was losing it, even as I lost it. Grief and horror overtook me. What are we going to do? What? Suddenly Newt's eyes popped open. He stood up and put a hand on my forehead like he was checking to see if I had a fever. It's the Lucy's, Myron, he said to me. They've decided you're the wink link in the chain and they're concentrating on you. But they're no match for us. Go sit in the glade with your back to the Schlaffera. I'm not coming back again, so do it now. Then he sat back down, closed his eyes, and died again. Come on, kid, Bum said. I'll walk you down to the woods. Bum and I left the trailer with Newt Shelby sitting lifeless in a chair. Wait, Bum, I said, still shaken and confused. I want to lay him on the couch first. I can't just leave him sitting there. Please. I could tell Three Stars wasn't happy about this idea, but humoring me didn't say anything. When I walked back into the trailer, Newt was gone. I checked my room, but it was empty. I guess he figured it out, Three Stars said, shrugging his shoulders. Lucy's. When we got to the woods, three stars asked me if I knew which Lafera Newt was talking about. I know which tree, but what do I do? Damn if I know, kid. Just sit against it and see what happens. Try and lighten up. Don't think. Any thoughts you have aren't yours. Fight him, kid. I'm going back to the trailer. How long should I stay out here, bum? Till the cows come home, kid. How the hell should I know? Just relax, will you? Now go on. I watched the bum turn and head back then entered the woods. I went right to the Schlaffer and plopped down against it. The sun was full up and hanging over me like high noon. I leaned my head back and watched it shine through the Schlaffer leaves. It was the same sun that had laughed with Newt and me, but now it was winking. I smiled at this and felt safe in its presence. The Schlaffer, 
hard against my back. felt like an embrace. I know I'm the weak link in the chain, I said out loud to the sun, but I've really tried. I'm sorry if I'm not good enough. I just pray I don't screw up your tail. Please, just give me the strength to play my part in it. No sooner had I made this petition than the voices in my head quit. The sunlight turned again to laughter, and I laughed out loud with it. I was free. Everything was taking on a misty white glow, and I felt completely at peace. Then something happened. For just a moment I felt the slightest apprehension as the glow became a shadow, as if a dark, dark cloud had passed before the sun. It became much cooler in the glade, and I started to notice that the shadows were figures. People. Then directly in front of me, no more than six feet away, a strikingly handsome young man appeared. I could make out the other people now, and it seemed to me some of them were deformed. Then the handsome man waved his hand, and they all vanished but him. "'You've made contact, haven't you, Myron? You've completed your link,' he said to me. "'Yes,' I replied, standing. "'I believe so. You must be Lucy.' "'Lucifer, if you don't mind. Those damn beetles started that Lucy shit.' "'Yes, and I believe, according to the song, you're due back in the sky.' "'Then you know.' "'I know some. I'll know more soon. It's coming at a rate I can take, but it'll come faster and faster as I understand more. Why did you send your friends away? I thought we might talk, just the two of us. Who are the deformed ones, Lucifer? They're not from your original crowd, are they? If you want to talk, you'd better start with that, or I might just wave you away. I couldn't tell if the look in his eyes was fear or anger when I said that, but finally he shrugged his shoulders and told me. They're shards. They're what was left over after the seraphim purged themselves of their darker aspects. They're not pretty, but the shards possess a magnificent quality of anger and sense of revenge. I didn't want to bring them into this, but some of you needed special attention to keep you from, well, this, he said, pointing at me. You don't know what a big mistake you're making, Myron. I had to try very hard to accomplish this mistake, and even then I couldn't do it. Thanks to you, of course. So you're ready to live forever, eh? Piece of cake. You'll just flit about eternity, happy as a lark. Wrong, Myron. You'll get bored. Bored to oblivion. Eternity's a pain in the ass. Spend a few billion years lighting a reality, or absorbing its light. You'll get old. Or travel on your thoughts while a galaxy blooms and recedes like a morning glory, and you haven't even scratched the surface of eternity. There comes a time when you realize you're trapped in it and you're directed in it by that which embraces it as itself, that which you call God. I'm God, for Christ's sakes, Myron, so are you. But it's all we are, forever and ever, and it's God-awful boring. Eventually, we, God, will find a way to destroy ourselves to escape the monotony of eternity, of omniscience, of omnipresence. This is our only hope for survival, Myron, to inhabit this mortal coil, this material plane of transient existence. We must die and be reborn in order not to know we're immortal. This is what we've strived so hard to keep you from, this curse. Here we can create a future. We can relive a past. And influence it, I interrupted. You've been manipulating this reality, Lucifer. For what purpose? Why, to perpetuate it, of course. If you evolve out of time and into eternity, it's all over here. This reality was created for us to play in. But if you drift out of the playground, the game is over. Originally, no one was intended to be born here, not in the mammalian sense. Conception was the forbidden fruit, Myron, birth without knowledge of God, of eternity, the illusion of mortality, 
an illusion I've fought for from the beginning and throughout history. A history filled with war and hatred, murder and mayhem. And guilt! It's guilt that keeps the karmic wheels oil. It's a way to obtain perfection, and it takes practically forever. The perfect endeavor for immortals to undertake. Millions of lifetimes to lead instead of one. And now, Myron, you've risen to a state of power. You can reign. The world and everything in it is yours. When you die, you can set up your next life any way you please. The karmic wheel is yours to spin. You've broken the code. Or you can stay with us and fashion its continuity. This is what's happening, Myron. Don't let anybody fool you. I'm not lighting the fuse on that gas giant. I'd rather lord over a dung heap than wait tables in heaven. Whatever blows up your skirt, Lucy, I'm out of here, I said, turning to leave. Just wait a damn minute, Myron. Let me ask you something. What did you ever do to deserve even a choice of action down here? You knew there were thousands upon thousands of people starving to death every day you drew breath. Every day you poured yourself so full of booze you couldn't see straight. This is your chance to do something for humanity. Put some order to this chaos. End the suffering. You can make them work for a better life. You must know you can cause anything you want to happen now. Think of what you could accomplish. No thoughts assailed me, but I considered his words. Then my voice said to me, What could you accomplish? This is an illusion. I smiled at Lucifer. I felt no more animosity toward him. I had known fear in my life and there was something he feared. He feared eternity. We're light entities, Lucifer. Maybe if you just asked for forgiveness, you could rise again and try to deal with it. Forgiveness? Forgiveness? I'd be asking myself, for Christ's sakes. Aren't you getting any of this? I'm getting it all, Lucifer, as time permits. So you think you've had the cure, don't you, Myron? Well, cure this. Lucifer, face red with anger, lifted his hands above his head. Beside him a shadow formed which looked like a long fish standing on its tail. It seemed to have bristles or spines coming off its head and running a little way down its back. This shadow lunged at me, and I fell flat on my face dodging it. Suddenly a great weight was on me, on my back. I could feel myself being pushed down into the leaves. A tremendous fear overcame me, and at the same time I sensed a perverse sexual arousal. I had the feeling a hideous face was pressed against my neck, breathing on me. I was paralyzed, terrified. I thought I heard Lucifer laughing, and I thought, Stop it! Just then I could see the glade growing lighter. The weight lifted, and I scurried to my feet. For a moment I saw Lucifer, shading his eyes, and the shadow thing, the shard, was beside him. A look of pure terror filled Lucifer's face, and he disappeared. Only the shard remained. Then, like an enormous cannon had gone off, a voice bellowed from everywhere and from the sun. Stop it! The voice seemed to blow the shard into things. Very rapidly it became smaller and smaller until it was just a tiny dot. Then it was gone. I looked up at the sun, and it was laughter again that I saw in the light. Thank you, I said. And my voice in my head replied, You thank yourself. It's redundant. When I told Three Stars about Lucy and the shard, he was amazed. In that body? You saw and spoke to Lucifer and a shard? There are ancient mystical references to an occurrence called the breaking of the jars and the resultant shards, but to actually confirm it as fact, well, that's just incredible. Are you sure you were in your body? I could feel the shard on my back, Bob. I stood up after it got off. I was in my body all right. But how can that be? They're in a different dimension. Granted, it's very close to this one, possibly as close as you can get. But bodies don't just go from one to the other, much less interact there. I just don't see how it can be done. That's the trick, Bob. 
This is all an illusion. I can do anything I want to now, but somehow I know enough not to. I don't want to make anything happen here. It's not my tale to tell. I'm playing this part on the moment for just a little while longer, then I'm leaving. The whole point of this epic tale is to find out it's just that, a tale. It's what it's trying to tell us. The author is introducing himself with his story. There's no way to stay once you're linked, is there, kid? You can do whatever you want, Bum, but you won't want to stay. It's meaningless here. Nothing is really happening. Bum, you'll look at it all and see nothing. Out there, Infinity has jumped on the horse of Eternity and is riding. You can never see it all and never die trying. And it's all part of you, and you are part of it. No time, just occurrence. No past or future, just an endless moment. You can sit under the Schlaffera now, Bum. You know that. I could tell something was bothering Three Stars. In a way, I knew what it was before he told me. I'm not taking the cure, Myron. Actually, I don't have to. I'm Syrian, really. I can do it myself. I could have linked up right after I saw Newt do it. Somehow his linking imparted that knowledge to me. Every link improves the condition of the world psyche, Bum. We're all linked together. That's why there's no need to stay. Nothing we can do here improves man's condition more than our leaving. Actually, arriving would be a more appropriate word. I'm not so sure, kid. That's because you're not linked. The Lucy's... I have the Lucy's sorted out now. I'm just not linked. Oh, I can still hear them, but I'm not open to their suggestion. Newt said I wouldn't miss him, but you would. He knew I'd stay. I don't understand why, Bob. That's because you're linked. A day ago you'd have understood. You probably feel sorry for Lucifer and his crowd now, don't you? God is love, kid. Love so unconditional and limitless that it can never be compromised. Nothing can affect it. God can't be angry, so I've got to stay, fight the Lucys, help people free themselves. If I link, I won't do it. Because it doesn't matter, Bum. You're missing the point, kid. Of course I was missing the point. There was no point. Three stars coupling had a part in the play, and he wasn't about to head for the stage door yet. But somehow I understood. It was the moment. How could it not be meant to be? Newt Shelby had risen, body and all, to the presence of the three stars. There he'd place an ancient race on the path home, while our alien in bum's clothing wandered the earth, passing along the cure to all who arrived to take it. Bum left me one night, standing in the palms where we'd met. God, I'm happy, kid, he said as he walked away. When he was gone, I noticed the light from the stars seemed brighter than usual. It made the palm trees look like props. I smiled and headed for the exit. The curtain fell.